Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Uh, Bob, great to be able to catch up with you and get your views on the markets. Um, Certainly we've been seeing nice new highs, maybe a little bit stalling out here. Uh, We'll see uh, as as to how earnings get digested and what happens next. But um, what are you seeing these days? Where are you most focused? Yields and the Fed? Yeah, that's basically where I'm focused. I I have a little bit of a disagreement with the U.S. Fed. Um, I think the Bank of Canada actually has it right where they're actually starting to at least talk about tapering, whether that's a concrete tapering plan that they announced this week or not. I don't know, but I think that's the right direction because you're seeing short-term strength driven by economic expansion, not necessarily driven by stimulus. Now, obviously, the early stimulus helped. This past stimulus, some data from Bank of America, which is almost real time, their card data showed that only about 10% or less of this last stimulus check here in the US is going into spending. So um, we're seeing it get saved. That's not a real good uh, GDP bang for your buck. I don't think it's what they expected. Now, having said that, go back to Milton Friedman's many conversations on inflation, and I believe everything Milton Friedman said for the most part, is Hmm. more money chasing fewer goods. And if you also believe a Yelp survey that was done late last year, about 60% of the businesses that have closed are permanent. So it's kind of the definition of more money chasing fewer goods. And unless we have some sort of a plan that I have not heard of where businesses that have closed are gonna be augmented in order to reopen, we're gonna have more money chasing fewer goods in a sustainable way. So I'm keeping eye on yields very closely in the inflation narrative. But it, it's interesting that when you, when you mention, um, you know, more money chasing fewer goods, if in fact those businesses stay closed, um, you would assume that obviously then people are out of work, you know, at some point the stimulus checks will end and therefore, you know, you'll b- move back into equilibrium because there just won't be as many people with as much uh, money or savings. Right. And the worry I have there is that the stimulus doesn't end, right? So that grows, more stimulus checks go out. They'll probably be smaller, maybe more along the lines of $500 or $600. But there could be a constant argument that the U.S. consumer needs relief. That could be constant. And it can be regardless of savings data that we're seeing go up for the first time in, God, I don't know, my whole life, right? Americans don't save. We spend. Mm -hmm. Savings data rise. You saw credit cards uh, balances falling until a few months ago, then they started rising again. And now we've got rising savings, rising credit card but, uh, balances, and we've also got strong re- retail sales. Now, if that dies off, fine. But if it doesn't die off and there's just a call for more stimulus, now we have higher rates by virtue of a larger, um, larger accounts payable for the U.S. government through treasuries. And we've got higher rates in theory because the bond market's going to demand higher rates because of potential coming inflation. So what we're seeing right now is high, is much lower real yields 
we're down in the 78 negative 78 basis points on the 10 year now. Uh, our prior low is about negative 70. So that bodes well for precious metals and it bodes well for this idea that inflation could be more sustainable than perhaps the Fed thinks or maybe even wants. Mm-hmm. Um, does that then mean that you, you, you know, believe in that pro-cyclical trade, that more value trade versus growth? Well, we lean value always, but it's kind of our definition of value, which is too long to go into. So we, we don't invest in stocks. You won't see Tesla in our portfolio. You won't see Nikola. You won't see Beyond Meat. You won't see any of the momentum high flyers. I think we've only owned Amazon once and Apple once. We don't even do things like that all that often. So we're invested in companies like Best Buy and Walmart and uh, Under Armour and, and Lululemon and companies like that, rather than things that might fly high for a while and could peter out if a narrative disappears. So we don't get involved in that. We actually prefer larger positions and more stable companies anyway. So the answer long-term and short-term is yes to your question. Hmm. Um, and, and getting back to the Fed for a moment, I mean, the Fed is obviously saying that that uh, inflation will be transitory, uh, not to worry about it. You're not in that camp. What do you actually see and expect with respect to inflation? Where do we go and for how long? Well, I think, you know, they're they're wording it as transitory. And one thing about the Jerome Powell Fed and Janet Yellen Fed prior to that is they tend to do what they say. Um, so I believe the Fed, and I think that's why we've seen 10-year yields back up from that 177 high to the 154 to 58 that we've been in for the last 10 days or so is because the market believes that the Fed is going to keep rates lower and even do an operation twist style action in order to keep longer term rates lower if they go too far. So having said that, from the perspective of what the Fed can do, my worry is that inflation is not transitory and they have to act aggressively and the market's not necessarily looking for that, certainly not prepared for it. And there's no reason to be prepared for it right now. It's a, it's probably a third quarter, fourth quarter, Q1 of 2022 type of an event, certainly not Q2, but they will. I think they believe they can curb inflation by acting aggressively by virtue of the fact that they've been a- acting gently for the past two decades and have not been able to conjure up any inflation at all. But that's simply because, in my opinion, tech is deflationary by its very nature. And tech is just, I mean, the next 10 years are going to tra- change more than the last 100. Mm-hmm. So that's deflationary pressure that maybe my narrative is fighting. Um, but I'm not married to it. I mean, I am long. We are long in the equity markets. So we're going to continue to be that way as long as it pays us. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if, if you really had a, con- a significant concern about inflation, you might not be as long in the equity markets yeah. because of the downward pressure on the valuations. Yeah. Okay. So then do you think that we don't need to worry about inflation as much? I mean, it seems as though it's somewhat calm, uh, the way it's kind of crept in and people's interpretations of what will happen. Well, I need to worry about it, right? But okay. it's, it's one of those things, and, and I'm stealing this from somebody else, but we have inflation in the things we need and deflation in the things we want. So in TVs and clothing and things like that, we have deflation. In healthcare, in housing, in childcare, we have inflation. And I don't see those trends turning around. I don't know how they would. So I think it becomes more and more of where you're looking at two family income or two income households are necessary to live a middle to lower middle class life because of the inflation in the things we need. not having inflation, but then in the same conversation, you'll hear that you have to have two incomes in a household now. 
and you know, experienced that myself at home. So you're looking at a situation where I think it just crunches the consumer in such a way that it could end up in a recessionary cycle after the inflation spike because the Fed might have to act too aggressively. I'd much rather see another two decades of low inflation with the Fed's keeping rate, rates gently lower to try and conjure up a little bit than this idea of having a, an adjusted average above 2%, which is what mm -hmm. you're I don't know what an adjusted average is. We didn't study that in statistics. So I don't know. Right. So yeah. it's, this is something that I have to worry about. Maybe the average person doesn't, but again, in the things you need, the prices are going higher. Yeah, well, I think we all need to worry about it and figure it out because it does affect so many areas of our lives. But yeah, you're, you're right. What's an adjusted average? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really have that in math class but but or stats. But, um, but just going back for one second in terms of, you know, any type of Fed intervention in the back half of 2021, what, what do you think they would do? What, what, would, what are you expecting in terms of what you just laid out? Well, I would expect Operation Twist first, which for people who don't know what that is, that's taking uh, the short-term asset purchases and twisting them into longer-term asset purchases. So that by its very uh, nature kind of props up short-term rates, which people don't really want to see, but it'll help control the flatten the curve, which is going to hurt financials, um, it's going to hurt energy and things like that. I don't know what it's going to do to the dollar because I've never through, been through a pandemic rebound operation twist. Um, there's so much that we haven't seen yet. So it's very difficult to, to blend in. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first thing they would do is an operation twist to try and control long-term rates. And then if inflation were to continue, then they start abandoning asset purchases altogether. And that's like yields across the curve if it happens. And that's really going to hurt equities in a way that I don't think people are prepared for. But we've got time between now and then. And yeah. beyond that, you know, what, what do you see in terms of the equity outlook? Well, if you look at sort of the balance of the things we bought, um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, what's the words? A sort of a... Um, an implied reopening trade. And what I mean by that is, so one of our holdings is HSIC, that's Henry Sheen. And Henry Sheen is a dental supply company. Well, during the pandemic, what could you not Amazon, Walmart, Uber Eats, DoorDash, uh, or Teladoc? You mm -hmm. couldn't teeth, right? So mm -hmm. we all can sort of, you know, in spurts, get back to the dentist and dentist offices are going to be resupplying. That's why you see the stock at its all-time highs, and we bought it um, in mid-March, and we still have it, and we're doing well on that one. Nice. Uh, stocks like Booz Allen, Hamilton, Accenture, and um, Robert Half International, all consulting firms, right? Booz Allen and Accenture, heavy in technology, Robert Half heavy in accounting and human resources. Companies don't even know, in my opinion, what work from home, part-time, full-time, employees that want to travel and work, since they've been doing work from home in the pandemic. What does that look like from a human resources perspective, from a security on your technology perspective for your, your star coder who wants to work from Belize for a couple of months? What does that look like? So I think these consulting firms are going to get incidental business that they may see coming, but they don't really know what it's going to look like. And when they don't know what it's going to look like, they can charge more for it. Is any of that, I haven't looked at, I knew Robert Half many years ago when I worked at William Blair and Equity Research, we covered the company, it was obviously much smaller way back when, um, but very reputable. Are people, are investors looking at Robert Half right now? I actually haven't looked at the stock lately. So 
is it you know knowns under the radar what's the valuation like it's still kind of under the radar it's it's a very much a value stock if you base it on its valuation it's cheap to its category and it's cheap to the market and it's at its all-time highs and it's still cheap so it's interesting because again, their business can build just on by virtue of what does human resources look like when it's 30% work from home, whether mm -hmm. that's an individual working three days from home or 30% of your workforce being remote. I think things have to look different. And I think a company like Robert Half can really benefit from staffing those changes. Hmm. So, so interesting. Yeah, RHI is the ticker there. I haven't looked in a long time. It's RHI. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to, before we get into some of the other stocks that, that you and your team own, um, I am curious, though, with everything going on from a money printing perspective and people wanting to perhaps hedge their portfolio moving to the digital currency world, uh, do you own anything within that space? Okay, so I personally do. I personally own both Bitcoin and Ether. Um, I kind of like Ether a little bit better. Uh, but I own more Bitcoin than I own Ether. Now, having said that, in both of those, can I use the word investments? Yeah. Both of those speculative yeah. investments, I've taken my original investment out. In Bitcoin, I've taken it out twice. So there, I barely look at them anymore, to be honest. I'm not adding to them. My original investment in Ether is out. Bitcoin, I've taken 100% plus my original investment out, and I still own some. So from that perspective, it's been lucrative, but I feel more fortunate than smart because it just, I understand the technology at a base level. Um, mm -hmm. Ether has become much more transactionally effective than Bitcoin is. Uh, people who build on the Ether blockchain, developers for other people accept Ether as payment and it goes through much, much more smoothly. So I think I will probably start taking Bitcoin and converting it to Ether over time. Ether does not, as far as I know, so far have a limited supply, however. So Bitcoin has that going for it, if you believe in the space at all. But I think some governments are going to take the path of, of some of the uh, more emerging markets that have announced that they may start to try and regulate it. I think the Fed will try and regulate it at some point. In terms of other things, we own silver and gold. That's something that we own as a company and, and I own personally. Right. Okay. And just one follow-up in terms of how you own Bitcoin and Ether, did you use ETFs? Did you get a wallet and buy them? What did you do? So I bought them both on PayPal, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, that was one of see, that was one of the signals for me to get in it is that PayPal allowed the purchases. So PayPal to me, by the way, PayPal is one of my best stocks for the next five years, as far as I'm concerned, because they're just so far ahead of other services and these kinds of things. So I own them both PayPal. I did originally have a wallet for my original batch of, of Bitcoin, but I shifted it out and I put it onto PayPal, which I think is, it kind of defeats the purpose, right? I'm getting a middleman in there and you're not supposed to do that, but I'm just comfortable with that at this point. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting way to, to, to go about it. So, um, let, let's take a look at some of the other stocks then that, that you own, um, AFL, Aflac. Why? Well, that was more of a value and a price action signal. But then in thinking about it after we had already bought it, and we bought Affleck, uh, I believe, about March 25th or so, you could see a reason for people to want secondary insurance if you lose your job, no questions asked. I mean, we all just kind of went through that. 
A lot of people just kind of went through that. Now, I don't honestly know if Aflac provides pandemic insurance, but it certainly put people in a position where they might want to have extra insurance for if they lose their job because they just kind of experienced that sort of shock. A lot of people, especially here in the U.S., would only have about three weeks salary saved up mm-hmm. where the line is somewhere, you could correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere between six to 12 months of base salary should be saved up in case of emergency. Aflac covers some of that. So I can see them again, gaining a lot of business they may not have otherwise thought they would get. Mm-hmm. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you're right, you know, it, it, you need a good 12 months of salary saved up. I and mean, that's just the reality of life, right? We want to make sure you got the job that, that you really want. Um, and, and then on the consumer side, why Walmart? That is another position you own. So the bottom half of the socioeconomic sphere is who is spending the stimulus check. Hmm. And while they still stand, tend to spend it on things they don't necessarily need, like maybe a new TV or a night out, um, they're still a Walmart customer. So anywhere where there's a sort of an ease of that tightness in their wallet, the tightness in their pocketbook, whatever you want to call it, um, Walmart's probably going to get a small portion of that relief. So it just makes sense. Again, this was a price action and value trade for us, but looking at it fundamentally, it made sense within the context of everything else we're doing. Okay. Um, and a couple other names that, that you've brought to us today, EAH, I'm not familiar, I don't think. No, actually, that's uh, Under Armour's UA. Oh, yeah. thank you. Okay. I, might have, I might have mumbled. I tend to mumble, Catherine. Oh, that's uh, Under, so, Armour. Under Armour. What's the latest there? You know, it's always a battle between Under Armour and Nike, and now, of course, Lululemon as well. So how's Under Armour doing these days? So Under Armour gave us a bit of a scare the other day by falling about four or five days in a row, and pretty dramatically. We bought it at $18.60 on April 8th. And right now it's trading about 19.05. So we're coming close to our target, which is right around $20 on this one. This was not expected to be a big mover. Um, we thought we could probably take advantage of some of the complaints and the problems with that Nike's having lately. I have not looked at the Nike stock, so I'm not sure if that's a problem with the stock. But some of the complaints, for example, the uh, executive son buying all the Air Jordans and reselling them, that was a little bit of a scandalous story. And then uh, I'm kind of a, I hate to call it a sneakerhead because I'm probably too old to call it that, but mm. I'm trying to buy these Air Jordans all the time and they aggravate me. And the other day I bought Under Armour shoes because of that. Now it's a little bit of an anecdotal reason, um, but the stock's price action band is is pretty solid. We think it'll get up to 20 pretty easily. And, and what do you mean you're trying to buy the Nike shoes, but they didn't work? So I'm an I'm absolutely addicted to Jordan ones, which I was in Chicago. I moved down to Florida recently, but I spent most of my life in Chicago and I was in Chicago when Michael Jordan got drafted and the Jordan ones were the first pair of Air Jordans he came out with. Well, they're constantly releasing new versions of these Jordan ones now. And they basically release a limited supply and it's like a lottery. Oh, into their app and you put your name in, in the lottery and you are constantly getting these messages that yours wasn't chosen. I mean, it's just, (laughs) that's so not nice. It's ridiculous, but they're $170. And the minute that they get sold out, they're 225 to 500 on eBay. Now I'm not trying to trade them. I'm trying to wear them. Right. I I wear them. I drive my cars. I wear my gym shoes. I ride my motorcycles. I don't put, nothing's a museum piece to me. But I, I can't, it. can't buy them, and there's starting to be a little bit of customer dissatisfaction. I don't know if you remember the story of 
the Nike executive's son, who was using insider codes from his, his mother. She, I believe she was a CFO. I don't remember her name, but he was using insider codes from his mother and he had a garage filled of all these different Jordan shoes that other people couldn't get. And he was- Wow. Yeah, was oh, I did not. When was that? That's crazy. Six months ago, maybe, maybe less. Um, I bet Andrew knows. It was about okay. <laughs> and he was reselling them to the tune of like six figure profits, three, $400,000 profits. Amazing. Yeah. The ingenuity. Or not. Okay. Is, There's other words to use. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Bob, when we think about the markets right now as well, I mean, I guess a couple of questions here. One is, are you using any derivative products to protect positions? What are you seeing in the derivative markets these days? Volatility seems to be quite low. So are you using any kind of put options and or are you doing any call writing on stocks that you own to increase the yield, the return? That's something that you know I've, I've um, done in the past, which is, is nice, kind of just a yield enhancer. Yeah, so no, we're not writing any calls against anything right now. It's interesting because we stopped doing that right around the AMC and GameStop um, debacle, if you want to call it that, or pleasure ride, whatever you want to call it. Um, just writing calls just became something that I didn't want to be involved in. And the stronger the bull market got, you know, we don't hold stocks for a year. Our average hold time is about 25 calendar days. Oh. Yeah. So in the portfolios that we manage, the core and the high beta. So hmm. our average hold time is about 25 calendar days. So we don't really get into it. We did in the past. Um, it's not by design that we hold things 25 calendar days. It's a function of the current bull market. Hmm. So that count, we redo that every 18 months to see what our average hold time is. And the previous 18 months, 25 days. And that's simply because things were going up so quickly. Hmm. So we felt like the need for the yield enhancement wasn't there. The first quarter of this year, um, our alerts did 29.2%. So we didn't really feel um, wow. need to enhance. So what are you using? What are you employing then? Fundamental analysis, obviously, um, but also it sounds like technical analysis. It's actually price action analysis determines our entries. Uh, we have three value scans that we use, um, proprietary value scans. So I use the word value, but it's not value like your traditional training or my traditional trading would tell us, right? It's not like we go to the value sector and pick stocks out of it. It's value based on a number of different metrics. It kind of means it's valuable to us. So we run these value scans on about 5,000 stocks. And generally, it spits out about 40 to 100 stocks that fit our scans. And then we do price action analysis on every single one of those every day. So Got it. And then when the price action set aligns for a trade, we have a strict buy up to price. We put that order in on a good till cancel basis. And if we get it, we get it. And if we don't, we don't care. And, and what kind of um, percentage of the overall portfolio do you put in, do you put in any one name? 2% of risk, not 2%. Say that again? 2% of risk on each trade. Now, when I say 2% of risk, in the same token that we have a buy up to price, we also have an exit price, a cut price, which you might know as a stop. We don't put the stop into the markets, but if the stock closes below that level, we get out at the open the next day. So base, our entry price versus that price, that risk price, we use that to calculate the amount of risk that we're willing to take on the stock. And we set it at 2% of the total portfolio value. So that's Got it. Okay. Um, 
What's that? That's a different process. Yeah, it's pretty process driven. I mean, it, it, we don't have trades that we think are more valuable than others. Uh, they're identical in our in our risk view. We don't. We might personally like one, like we owned Arlie Davidson recently, and I like that more because I like Arlie Davidson's. Mm-hmm. Lost money on that one, but did you so, lose money? The stock was up so nicely the other day. Yeah, it was long. It was further ago. We haven't had it in a while. Okay, um, it was a bit further back. It was about fifteen months ago. Okay, like that. But we don't. Uh, we try to do that because. All right, here's the best way to look at it. Over the past 18 months, we have had about 75% winning trades. Again, function as much of the bull market as it is that we're really super smart people, right? I mean, everything's big. So I don't want to take too much credit for that. But even with 75% winners, 25% of the time, we're going to be wrong. If we put excessive risk on a trade that we really, really, really like, uh-huh. And it falls within that 25% batch, it crushes the portfolio. And we, as much, as much work as we do, we have no idea when that 25% has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we the process and have balanced risk across the whole portfolio. And then even if we lose on everything, you know, if we have 15 stocks, which is our maximum, which I can't remember the last time we had that, hmm. at 2%, we know exactly how much we're going to lose if we lose on every single stock. And it's still not going to crush our assets. Bob, what's uh, the biggest risk in the market to you these days? That the Fed is wrong. It went from the pandemic to the Fed being wrong. Um, One vaccine shot in. Um, We've got another one coming up in May. Uh, The U.S. is doing great with the vaccines, despite some people's reluctance to get it. Um, Even with that batch of people being reluctant to get it, the spread is likely to slow just because of the amount of people getting the vaccine. Uh, some people mm-hmm. will get it and they'll build up their own immunity from getting it and the rest of us will be vaccinated. So it's not the pandemic for me anymore. Mm. It's, it's the Fed being wrong about inflation. I think that's a big, 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 big risk. And that's why we have okay. silver. And that's why you have silver. Why, why silver? And we have silver and gold. Silver, yeah. from infrastructure and the um, coming inflation, if we're right about it. And gold is going to be the inflation hedge. I think if yields stay lower, you'll notice something interesting about gold, Catherine, is that gold works when yields are not responding to inflation expectations. So in other words, real yields are going lower. And that's what's happening right now. We're seeing the 10 years still in the one, mid 150s, but inflation expectations have not changed. Gold is rallying. If the treasuries start to rise, that's the inflation hedge. Mm-hmm. People well, yields are going up, so inflation will be curbed naturally. And gold doesn't work then. So, and Bob, how much exposure do you have to oil? None right now. Isn't that weird? Hmm. A little. <laughs> a little. Why? We, I actually had a short position on gold that got stopped out on the break above 61.50. Oil. Oil. We were short it and it broke above 61.50 probably a week or so ago. And uh, we got stopped out on that one. No big deal. 2%. It is what it is. Um, but I haven't had a signal to get long or short at this point. Hmm. My desire is to get shorted again, but I know that's a short-term trade from a fundamental perspective because hmm. the Permian is starting to pump out oil again. The break-evens have gone up and the Eagle Ford and the Marcellus are really struggling. And OPEC is now again, the marginal producer. There's not a lot of 
political pressure that's being talked about put on the Saudis and put on Russia to keep prices under control. So I suspect they're going to let them run a little bit. That, that's the inflation narrative, if not core, certainly to the headline number. But I think because it's Saudi Arabia and Russia now that are controlling these things, um, there's less certainty to the downside than I would have otherwise thought there would be. Got it. Bob, we will leave it there. It's been great to speak with you and get caught up. I really appreciate it. Get some ideas too. Happy to come on anytime. Okay, great. Thank you so much.